Welcome listeners to Sleep, Eat, Perform and Repeat. This is a podcast on high performance. It will be presented by myself, David Clancy, and my two co-hosts, Connor Gavin and Kieran Dunn. What we're striving to achieve here is figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why are they successful. Rate and review, share with your friends, but most importantly, enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 60. First, I'd like to say thank you very much for pressing play and continuing to listen to this podcast. This is a big milestone for the podcast. Today, we spoke to David Gillick, dad, author, Olympian, and MasterChef winner. Here is a story about a journey from one being a high-level athlete to new ventures and how identity has evolved over time. It was very interesting to hear David's take on high performance in sport and high performance in the corporate world. Key themes such as mindset, hunger, excuse the pun here, and resilience are talked about. And please listen out for his answer to what makes Gillick Cuisine 2. So hi guys, welcome to Sleepy Performer Pete. We're delighted to be joined here today by an Olympian, an Irish Olympian, and I'll pass you over to David Clancy to introduce you to David Gillick. We're very grateful to have David in studio today. He would be very much a person who kind of embodies our philosophy of sleepy, perform, repeat, because he kind of is very much an example of living and breathing it every day. I suppose where I'd start with David is what a quite interesting and diverse background you have, because you're a dad, a husband, a very successful author. You're obviously an Olympian. You've won medals at European Championships. You're an ambassador working in the corporate wellness space. So how does somebody who's been so successful in so many different areas identify themselves? And what are you kind of doing these days? Yeah, I'm laughing because it's like when you start listing those things, it's kind of like, well, how did I get here? <laughs> how did I end up start doing the things that I'm currently doing? But um, I suppose for a couple of years, I probably struggled with that question of like, you know, what do you do now? Because to be fair, I was very much identified as being an athlete for, uh, for nearly, I suppose, a good 10 years on the elite side and the professional side. And then suddenly when that kind of finishes, I was probably a little bit lost for a number of years and uh, kind of struggled with that question. But um, I'm very fortunate. I've, I've had great opportunities. And, and now um, I've found a couple of things that I'm quite interested in. Um, and that is that whole area around kind of well-being and high performance. And, you know, in the corporate world now, that's a lot of stuff that I'm doing. Um, you know, everything from mental well-being to physical. Um, and then obviously looking at that kind of high performance, how you drive high performance in the corporate world, be it as an individual with that winning mindset or else kind of from an organizational point of view, building a really solid kind of high performance team. And I suppose a huge advantage for you is you can look back and reflect on your history as a high level athlete and say, well, I've been there. I've lived and I've breathed it. So this is maybe some sort of strategy you can employ in this environment. Very much so. And I think, you know, it's probably taken me a couple of years to kind of look back and grasp the things that I implemented as an athlete in order to perform at the highest level, the Olympics, Worlds, Europeans. And there are certain things that are very kind of tangible. There's certain things there that, you know, you could easily take out from the world of sport and just literally implement into high performance business in the corporate world, because some of the, the synergies are are very complementary. Um, you know, how you think, how you plan, how you focus on your goals, how you collaborate, 
you know, how you bring people together, manage people, talk to people, communicate, all of these things from a coach-athlete relationship is paramount. And it's the very same in the corporate world. There aren't a lot of people doing what you're doing in Ireland. I think it's fair to say we need more people like you in Ireland, in Dublin, in Ireland, helping, I suppose, bring that kind of high performance, that wellness, that kind of totalistic approach to help with people getting healthier going forward. Kind of what, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, very much so. I think the journey that I've been on and kind of as an athlete looking at that holistic approach to, to performance, so everything from how you sleep, how you rest, what you eat, and how you train. Um, and obviously, it all starts with that mindset. And I think for me, that was the cornerstone of, I suppose, me really kind of believing in myself and going, you know what, I want to be an athlete. I want to perform. I want to be up there with some of the best 400-meter athletes in the world. And it all started by, I suppose, getting my mindset in gear and dealing with the internal negative voice, you know, the voice of doubt, the voice that kind of creeps in and says, don't know if you can do that, David. You know, maybe you're not good enough. And sometimes that voice can be very loud and very negative, and that stops people actually pursuing what they want to do with their lives, their hopes, their dreams. And I think for me, I'm probably one of these people that I was a confidence athlete. I took a lot of confidence out of my training sessions, how I prepared, how I planned, who I surrounded myself with. And when I did relocate, so I left Ireland, I moved over to the UK, went to Loughborough University, and straight away, I absolutely loved it. And my mindset was crucial in that. And Again, people might refer to this kind of fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. I needed to get a little bit more into that growth aspect and become aware of how I was talking to myself and the doubts and dealing with those because they're natural. We all have them. You know, it's that kind of taking that step. Oh, don't know if I can. Uh, that fear factor. And once I kind of developed a few strategies around that and, and how I got a little bit more into that growth side of things, then it was surrounding myself with those world class people and it became an ecosystem. And I absolutely loved it. And then I started looking after myself in terms of what I was eating, how I was resting. And I suppose I just simply put a value on it. And I made a promise with myself as well. And I think that was the key thing. When I was 21, I won the Europeans in 2005. And then that was back in 2006. And then I decided, you know what, I, uh, I'd finished college that year. And I made a promise to myself that, you know, I don't want to get to the age of 30 and look back and go, what if? Mm. So people talk about the why, you know, there's some great books out there by certain authors and they talk about why that purpose, you know, what is it that drives you? And for me, it was that promise to myself. I wanted to give it a go. Hmm. Perfect. And you mentioned just two things there about Loughborough first. And then you also mentioned Carol Dweck, mm. the fixed and growth mindset. Yeah. Was there any sort of education on that when you were in Loughborough? Not really. I, I read Carol Dweck's book. Yourself, um, yeah. Yeah. And it, someone recommended it to me. And I remember reading it and then thinking, God, like it was like I was talking to myself. You know, I could, I could, every page resonated with me. And I suppose I got a little bit more into, you know, having a go at my athletics. And that's where I was aware of, okay, like these doubts. And I'll be open and honest. There was times I went to races and, you know, I'd immediately look to a certain athlete and he could be tall. He could be, you know, 6'2", six 6'3", six and he's in fresh kit, you know, nice shiny new kit. And instantly go, he's better than me. Or I might look at a Jamaican athlete or an American athlete and go, they're better than me. Um, and that for me was what that fixed mindset was all about straight away I looked at someone and just thought they're better than me on the start line in the call room now those crucial moments before you go into competition and I was beaten and I think for me that really kind of was an area that okay David you need to work on this you need to start believing in yourself a little bit more and you know when I went to Loughborough you know with my coach Nick Dakin and, and the group of athletes I was around with there was athletes that were better than me there was athletes that were running faster than me but suddenly after a couple of days after a couple of weeks months 
I was returning their serve. If it was like a game mm-hmm. of tennis, I was returning their serve. And then suddenly I was like, you know what? I'm up with these fellas. You know, yes, on paper, they're fast for me. There's no reason I can't be up there or even better than them. So that kind of belief. And then obviously looking at my goal, you know, my coach Nick would be like, okay, well, like, you know, what do you want to achieve this year? You know, and I'd be like, okay, I want to win a medal or I want to run 45 seconds and run 44 seconds. And then it was a case of, okay, how are we going to do that? So we were challenging each other. So he would challenge me. Before, you know, goal setting to me was writing on the piece of paper, stick it on the bedroom wall, and that was it done. I never actually asked myself, how was I going to do it? What were the things I was going to do on a daily basis? So again, from a goal perspective, I was constantly looking at the outcome. And then suddenly it was all about the process. And that was something that really drove me because then, you know, those little things that I do on a daily basis, how I rest, what I eat, my mindset, you know, simple things, how I train, that became the bread and butter of it. And I could foc- if I could focus on those things on a daily basis, well, basically it would all add up and hopefully it would add up in a fast time. So it's all coming together enough for your kind of a cumulative culmination of a lot of different factors, personal, physical, you name it, team supporting you, mm. environment, everything. Can you remember a point in time specifically prior to when you won a medal when you went, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm ready to take that step now. I can win. There was a couple, I'll be honest, because you mentioned that word team. You know, as an individual sports person, um, I thought it was all about me. And I suppose other people thought it was all about me. You know, when you watch an athletic competition, you see one person on the track or, you know, out on the rolls or on the long jump runway, it's one athlete. But what I realized was I needed a team. And it was one time I was walking out of the high pack, which is a high performance athletic center in Loughborough. And as I was walking out the door on my right hand side, it was a big glass kind of window, if you like. And through that window was the, the British Athletics kind of offices. And I remember looking through, and it was the first couple of weeks over in Loughborough, and I saw my new coach and my training partner, Martin Rooney, sitting at a table with about three other people. And I remember kind of thinking, who are they? And I found out that one was a physio, one was a strength and condition coach, one was the nutritionist. And what were they doing? They were all talking about how they were going to get Martin to improve. And I remember kind of thinking, do you know what? Where's my team? And that was the biggest kind of step in the right direction for me. I began to go, do you know what? I, I suppose I looked at myself and, okay, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Because if I have any weaknesses, well, then I need to bring people in that are going to strengthen me. And that's what I did. So I got great support from various people over there um, and I had a team. And that was, I suppose, the start of me really kind of believing that I could achieve something. Um, and then it went into the practical, t- uh, the practical kind of training sessions. So, again, very detailed. We'd be, you know, athletics is very statsy. So my coach would come down. He'd be like, right, here's the session for today. Here's our target times. Um, and they were all very, very good target times. World class, if you like. And um, when I started hitting them, that one was really like on paper. I'm like, okay, I'm in shape. And in probably 2009, so kind of jumping ahead, obviously 2007, I had great results. And um, I won the European Indoor title again. So I retained that in a really fast time. And that was probably the first step or the first moment that was like, this is working. This is working. Um, and that was a huge kind of element of belief going forward. Um, and then it was all about, I want to run 44 seconds. So 44 seconds were a class. And that took a while, um, a few highs and lows. And then 2009, we went on a training camp to Lanzarote in January. So we went down to Lanzarote because it was just good weather. Uh, time zone was the same, etc. And we were doing a time trial over 300 metres. So this is where my coach would go, right, time trial over 300 metres. Um, and you'd get nervous. It was kind of like race uh, environment. You know, you're getting very competitive. 
but it's also a clear indicator of where you are. And it's very early in the year, it's January. And by this stage, I'd obviously two European titles behind me. Um, I had improved, I was now running like 45 low, but again, 44 seconds was that world class 400 meter running. And uh, I did a, that training session and 300 meter time trial and I nailed it. And I remember my training partner, Martin Rooney, who had already, you know, ran 44, six in the Olympics in 2008. You know, this guy was, he broke Roger Black's junior British record. This guy was phenomenally talented. And I remember he was all excited, you know, because we were great mates and good training partners and he was jumping up and down because I absolutely like nailed that 300 meters. PB times, you know, correlated to a very fast 400 meter time. And what it did was it broke the race down. I broke it down, go back to that process. What am I doing at 100 meters? What am I doing at 150, at 200? And all I had to do then was execute that plan. Um, and that was a moment where I was like, you know what? I, I could I could get to a world final. You know, I could be up there with some of the best. And that was a huge moment, I think, going forward. Kind of echoes with, like, I just watched a movie recently, Le Mans, Ford Ferrari, and 10 Miles, that famous driver, you know? You used to always break every single bit of the race down. Every single turn, you'd know exactly what gear he's supposed to be in, exactly what speed he's supposed to be in, so that the end result will will take care of itself because you've looked after each and every little piece. It is. And I remember someone said to me, um, you know, plan the dive and dive the plan. You know, okay. so that was it. It was like, and it was, it, it's that sort of mentality of like, yeah, okay, look, the outcome will look after itself. The 44 will come, but you need to nail the 100 metres. You need to nail the first 150. You, know, you need to tick those boxes as you go, and it will all look after itself. Yeah, we've, brief, we've briefly, briefly said um, collaboration and business is so important, mm. and you've obviously mentioned the team environment in athletics and stuff. If you're like David Coulthard recently said, he was the pinnacle, the spear of, or the tip of the spear for a team of over a thousand for McLaren. And like that's the one person that gets the limelight, the one person that gets the, the light shone on them. Yeah. For you, in terms of an athlete who might be maybe sub, sub elite, or an amateur status in Ireland, and they're trying to build that sort of support network rather than just a social network, is there any way that, or any advice you'd give for them to do that? How do they reach out? Who do they go to? What would be your advice for that young athlete? Like? That's a really good point. Um, and I think I think the key about it is, like, it's very sometimes, the way I kind of look at, uh, you know, sports people and people who might be at the elite side of it, we tend to put them on a pedestal and we tend to think they're different. Like, they're not like me or you. You know, they're completely different. They have a different makeup different mentality but in actual fact they're very very same people and they think the same they act the same i think what they do well is they can communicate their feelings and they can communicate their goals and what they want to do and regardless of the level that you're at simple conversations so let's say you're an athlete that is at national level you know maybe your olympics is making a national sprint final or maybe it's getting on the podium nationally it doesn't matter if that's national level or it's olympic level the thought process should be the same and I think it's simplifying it and it's coming back down to like having that coach, you know, having that person that coaches you um, and, and trusting yourself and trusting them and having a good relationship where you can be open and honest. I think honesty is a key factor. Like if you can be honest and you can communicate what you want to do, um, you might be able to do it all by yourself. So it's a case of, OK, what are your strengths and weaknesses? What are the areas that you need to develop? Um, and Athletics, sport, and the physical, I'd always say my physio was absolutely crucial in that because a physio knows my body and it knows my strengths, my weaknesses. And if that's not communicated back to my coach or it's not communicated back to the strength and conditioning coach, well, then you're going to break down. Um, and I think that was key in terms of 
uh, the physical side and the mental side as well. So again, I worked with sports psychologists over the years um, and they were vital. They were vital in terms of all the work that I, that I would have done in the, in the weeks and the months and the years prior. But if I wasn't right mentally on the day, well then, you know, it's not going to happen. So I think for anyone out there is like, focus on your goal. What is it you want to achieve? And then ask yourself how you're going to do it and who's going to help you. And don't shy away from that. Because I think sometimes we're a bit shy to kind of look at ourselves and go, oh, I don't know, or, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to put my hand up and go, yeah, I'm struggling with this part or I'm weak at this part. Um, I think it's vital to have a team around you. And what you do find as well, this doesn't cost a whole lot of money. It could be a cup of coffee. It could be literally just picking someone's brain and saying, okay, like, what's your experience in this? Um, how do you do this or how do you improve that? Because we all have peers. We all have people that we look up to, be it in the world of sport or be it someone in your club or someone that you train with. I think, again, it's just keeping things really, really simple and just having a conversation can be the, the most powerful thing to kickstart um, your journey. I'd like to just change tack for a minute. And it's quite an amazing story of sport, right? And you're someone that just so much passion and drive and determination comes out from you, right? And you can see that in terms of what you've been doing since you've since you've maybe left that field of, that, of athletics, right? I suppose I'm very curious as to your journey in food, right? Because yeah. we sleep, eat, perform, repeat. We haven't talked an awful lot about food and nutrition. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, David Gillick, you won a master chef. <laughs> and you've written some books. Yeah. Nutrition, yeah. healthy eating and food. And in fact, my wife's read your books. Ah, good, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that and kind of, you know, where does that all fall in? Well, it kind of went back to 2006. So I'd, I'd, I'd won the Europeans in 05. I was still in college at the time. And then in 06, finished college. And it was literally, okay, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? You know, and obviously having success in athletics, I wanted to give it a go. As I mentioned, made that promise, relocated over to Loughborough. So when I moved out, moved out of home, um, it was suddenly buying my own food. It was suddenly cooking my own food. And let's be honest, I didn't really have a whole lot of experience. Mum was very good at home. She's cooked good meals and all that. And I relied on that. But when I moved over to the UK, I was going down to the supermarket and buying my own food. And... I suppose I really bought into that holistic approach to it. And um, I wanted to perform really well. I was training now full time. So it was six days a week, some days twice a day. I needed to make sure that I was recovering well and fueling my body. So I started working with a nutritionist. Um, and from there, it was very much a case of, okay. And to be fair, I challenged the nutritionist. This is probably, you know, going back to the question you asked earlier, you know, helping other people. It, you know, regardless of your level, I challenged that nutrition. I was paying for them. And so I was like, okay, give me, give me plans. Don't tell me what I should be eating. I want to see on a practical level what I need to make and how I make it. So simple things like spaghetti bolognese, like fish. I'd never eaten fish. So salmon, things that are, how do you cook salmon? How do you make it nice? Um, Spanish omelets, really practical things that I could literally make myself. And that was the start. And from there, I just got more into it. And I used to really love going shopping. So I'd go into the supermarket and I'd spend an hour to an hour and a half literally looking at products and looking at the ingredients and looking at the nutritional info. And it was just from there, I was kind of learning about food and the food groups, what I need for my event. Um, and obviously been challenged by a nutritionist. And, and then, to be fair, we always had the fat test. You know, we'd be roped <laughs> in every couple of weeks and the calipers were out. And again, you'd be you'd be kind of monitoring your weight and stuff like that. But you know, I, I just enjoyed it. But I think the big thing was, I actually found it therapeutic. Mm. You know, I used to come home in the afternoon or the evening um, after training, where, again, athletics is very statsy. So it's very easy to kind of 
compare a session that you did this year to last year and then go, Ooh, what does that mean? Or am I in 44 shape? Or, your mind can just go. Whereas when I come back in the evening time, get into the kitchen, it was about cooking food and chopping and stuff like that. And suddenly I wasn't thinking about uh, my day. Headspace a bit different. Headspace with a knife. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and that's kind of where I kind of went from. And, and uh, then I just got more into it and you're eating, I suppose, the same kind of food and then it was a case of okay like what spices or what kind of flavoring can I add to it to make it a little bit different um, and I just kind of enjoyed that uh, and then they went from there I was in Australia at the time and unfortunately I was injured and uh, I got a message about uh, would I be interested in doing MasterChef and I've watched all the shows you know like as a sports person let's be honest you do have a bit of time during the day <laughs> and daytime TV there was cooking shows <laughs> Uh, I used to watch those and I was always into MasterChef and I always thought, I wonder how I get on. And then I was asked to do it. And I did it. And I, look, I never expected to, to win or anything like that. It was The main thing was I didn't want to get kicked out first round. <laughs> then it looked like a right tail. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that process and the challenge of it. And, you know, the fact that like um, you had to perform, I suppose, and uh, came out the other side, managed to win. And again, never thought about doing any cookbooks, but was approached to doing Um did my first one, David Gillis Kitchen, which I wanted to really just simplify it and keep it easy. You know, I wanted to showcase that you can go into your local supermarket and buy, you know, really good ingredients and make something that's practical for an individual, regardless of their sport, regardless of whether they, they run or they don't run. Um, and also for families as well, because I was kind of heading in that direction myself. And then that book went very well. And then my second book, uh, Back on Track, was I was approached to do it and I was a little bit reluctant originally. And then I kind of thought, okay, well, I don't want to do the same thing. It is a cookbook, but I wanted to showcase that how food, along with your mindset, rest, recovery, exercise, is, you know, it's all of value. Um, mm. And obviously showcase the journey that I've been on because I struggled after my career in terms of my physical and my mental well-being. Um, and back on track was, was something that just kind of represented the journey I've been on across those four key areas. In terms of, you mentioned like earlier the corporate well-being. You've got, you've discussed how you became empowered by your nutritionist, and you sort of took strategies of learning mm -hmm. how to do it. What do you think is the biggest barrier for, let's say, the Irish population, for not being that little bit healthier? What stops them eating well and exercising more? I think it's time. Yeah, yeah. I think time is our most valuable commodity now, and um, I think it's also the fact that we don't use time for ourselves. I think. A lot of people are busy um, a lot of people are spinning numerous plates, families, jobs, you know, hobbies, whatever it is. But I think it could, when it comes down to kind of your, your well-being, it's, it's maybe planning a little bit in there in terms of what we eat, when we buy the food and kind of planning the week. And then also using your calendar, using your calendar for you. You know, I think we work off calendars and diaries for our jobs and everything goes in there. And when it's in there, it's non-negotiable. It'll happen. But when you look at people's calendars, maybe the thing that's lacking is time for themselves. Yeah. Um, and it could be five minutes, 10 minutes. It could be half an hour. It could be a park run on a Saturday morning. I think if we can just kind of build that in and put a value on it, more chance it'll happen. So I think it's, it goes back to kind of planning for yourself and using time for yourself as well. It's brilliant, yeah. I think we're probably all guilty of that, not even plugging in a little... Yeah, like, and look, you know, I can sit here and kind of give it all that and say exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's challenging. It's challenging myself. I have two kids at home and uh, my wife works. I work and it's busy. But all you can do is try mm -hmm. and allow yourself that you'll have good weeks, you'll have bad weeks. You'll have good months, you'll have bad months. But if you can just try and kind of stick to a little bit, even if it's just getting out for a walk, maybe once, twice a week, 
you know, that's positive. You know, I think we live in a world now where we look at social media and we follow people who are, you know, excelling in that space and we think that's what I need to do or that's what I should be doing. But in actual fact, it's probably not. All you need to do is get out once or twice and begin to enjoy it. And the other thing I'd say as well, like if you don't enjoy something, try something new. Don't be afraid to pack that in and try something new because it's got to work for you. It's got to work for you. Variation there, yeah. yeah. You certainly vary the career anyway. So tell us a bit about like, What's going on at the moment? What are you doing day to day nowadays? Yeah, like right now it's good. I'm in I'm in a good place. Um, you know, when I retired, I kind of struggled a little bit in terms of what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do, um, and that was after 10, 12 years of knowing exactly what I I wanted to do, and that was compete. That was to run. So when I first retired, I kind of struggled in terms of um, like mentally, um, just because that that feeling of loss, you know, um, and that really affected my mental well-being. And then I stopped exercising. I was kind of I'm sick of exercising, I'm sick of running, and I didn't want anything to do with it. Um, and then I kind of realised, you know, it's part of me. And I got help. I went to counselling, and uh, I still go. One of the best things I've ever done, um, and that's really really positive. And as a result of that, I began to understand myself a little bit more, understood the kind of little triggers. Um, and once I kind of understood the triggers, then I could build a little bit of a toolbox and toolkit. And uh, for me, it's that holistic approach, looking after myself, giving time for myself, you know, spending time with the people that matter most to me. And through that, I've been very fortunate. Um, I now do a lot of corporate work. So I'm in the corporate kind of well-being space, talking a lot about physical well-being, mental well-being, um, and sharing some tips and strategies, how people can just kind of grasp some of those and implement them into their life. Um, and now I'm moving a little bit more into the high performance side, as I mentioned earlier, which is something that's really good and it's challenging for me as well, because, you know, I'm looking back on my career now and taking out the tangible things that I can kind of help other people with in, in terms of business and, you know, adding a bit of value to what they do on a daily basis. Um, I also do a good bit of TV work as well. So, you know, with the Olympics coming up, I'll be heading to Tokyo and looking after kind of co-commentating on the athletics and interviewing some of the athletes uh, post-race. So. That's really, really cool because mm-hmm. it's taken me a couple of years to get comfortable yeah. on that side of the track. You know, there was plenty of years where I was looking going, I want to be out there, I want to be out there. Whereas now I'm delighted to be still a part of it. Um, and I see the real value of watching athletes compete and the reaction, fans, family members, you know, that are in the stands. You know, I can see that now. Yeah. And I never saw that because I was on the track. Mm. You know, and it, it, it kind of gives me joy now to see, you know what, I gave my parents that opportunity, you know, when I was successful and won a couple of medals and things like that. You know, my parents got to see that and, and my family and friends. And that makes me look back on my career now with fondness and, and pride. And um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, it's great. I, I, I still have a few ambassadorial roles with a couple of brands as well. Um, again, food side, mental health, physical well-being. So I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky to be in a position where... I'm working for myself and at the end of the day, I'm a freelancer and I'm busy, so I can't complain. Uh, and with a young family as well, it's, it's positive because you can kind of shape your day a little bit. Um, but don't get me wrong, there's highs and lows. You know, you've uh, got a plan for the, the next month, the next year, um, and obviously keep things interesting for yourself as well. So I'm very lucky. In terms of the, the success that you mentioned there and it's sort of a very reflective, it seems like you are now, what were you like when you achieved success on the track or during your career at different things like MasterChef, did you take time to reflect on it and enjoy it? Probably not. I'll be honest, probably not. I, I, I would have been quite hard on myself and always kind of wanted more. And I kind of felt I couldn't really, you know, grasp it that much because it was like, oh, I'm getting too complacent. Complacent, I need more, I need more. Um, 
And that was probably looking back now, I'll be honest, it was probably something, you know, I should have got better at. I should have, you know, celebrated the wins and, and the, the good times because in the world of sport, you don't get that many good times. You know, there's probably more downs in a sporting career than there is ups. And um, for me, it was very much like more, more, more. And I was very committed to it. I was very determined. Um, and probably from like a coaching point of view, I joined the coach, I'd imagine, because like you have an athlete who just wants more, more, more. But I think part of it was as well that, you know, don't be afraid to, to flick that off switch. Um, and looking back at my career, maybe I should have enjoyed the journey a little bit more and not constantly want more and more and more. You know? Yeah, we spoke recently to a uh, World Cup winner, South yeah. African, yeah, rugby World Cup winner. And we sort of mentioned about, do you enjoy it? What's going on at the moment? Are you taking the time out to say you've just lifted Webb Ellis Cup? And he was sort of, he was refreshingly, he was trying to instill that in his lifestyle that he was looking back. But you hear it oftentimes that sports stars just don't take the time. Or even in business, people don't take the time to say, I've done well there. Yeah, no, and I, I can relate to that and agree with that. I think it's, uh, again, we live in a, a world where it's always more, more, more. Produce, you know produce, I mean? produce. Produce, yeah. the bottom line, the 1%. Um, and I think sometimes we look at, say, successful people and think that's the way it is. But, mm. you know, when I've kind of read about people in business who have been extremely successful, there's always a space. And what, one thing that struck me was, they always tend to read. They always tend to read. And if you can read, well, then you know what? You're giving yourself a bit of downtime. And it was quite interesting because when I was kind of struggling after my career and I got I got fixated on success, you know, I needed success. And I thought success was all about money or a title or kind of status, you know. So someone asked you, what do you do? I wanted that answer to be elaborate for them to go, ooh, you know. And um, that was something I kind of struggled with. But then when I started kind of learning a little bit, you know, you need to take time out. Yeah. And again, these people who are highly successful, they read, they read the paper, they read books. And I think if you can allocate time for yourself to, because it's knowledge and knowledge is power. And if you can just tap into various kind of avenues or people or, you know, mentors, advice, things like that can go a really long way. It's funny. I just finished a book called Stillness by Ryan Holiday. Right. Yeah. It's someone I like a lot. I admire him a lot because he's often said as well, why would you not read? Yeah. Because you've got all this knowledge and wisdom passed from 3,000 years yeah. for us every single day available. Mm-hmm. And most people who can read just choose not to or watch TV yeah. when they could learn from yeah. world leaders or philosophers or people like yourself to read about nutrition in your book. Yeah, and look, you're 100% right. And again, when I was really struggling, I couldn't, I couldn't focus. I didn't have the ability to literally focus for five to 10 minutes because there was always something else that needed to be done. Or that, I need to get back to that person or that task. Mm-hmm. Whereas in actual fact, the thing I should have been doing was just you know, switching yeah. off, reading, and you actually might learn a little bit along the way. Now, I suppose the question is, we often ask people, what would you do different? Yeah. yeah. But I really like the fact that you've had such a meandering, successful, varied story to date. But that's not the question I'm interested in. The question I'm interested in is, what's next? What's next? What's, yeah. what's going on for David Gillick in the next five to ten years? Because... I mean, family ticked, dad, yeah. hobby ticked. Jesus, I was an athlete, did all right there. Um, going on the TV, I'm an author, sold, sold a couple of books. So you're someone that pushes yourself. Infinity mindset. What's next for you? Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to challenge myself next year, and I'm actually looking at um, starting a food business. Yeah. And it's going to be retail, it's going to be a restaurant, um, casual dining experience. And uh, it's something that I've always I've always thought about. And again, I've traveled the world and I've eaten in various places. And I kind of, 
thought, you know, this would be something that I'd always like to do. So it's a little bit different. So again, it's a, it's a huge challenge. Um, and it's a tough industry, it's a tough industry to be successful and tough industry to make money. But I think for me, it's something that I want to have a go at. And if I, if I don't have a go, I'll never know. So for me, that's kind of 2020 is, uh, is something that it will happen. Um, we're in a good place to get things going. And uh, that in conjunction with some of the other work that I'm doing, again, I really enjoy the keynotes. I really enjoy working with people. And I want to move that space into more of a facilitation workshop kind of role. So I want to develop high-performance um, workshop that I can deliver over the course of a day, a half day, with teams and individuals in the corporate world that um, I feel that I can maybe add a bit of value and take some of the strategies and some of the kind of mindset that I've had as an athlete in the world of high-performance and bring that in. And I'd like to kind of grow that side of stuff as well. Here's a challenge for you now. The question we asked Professor Damien Hughes before was, is about business and sport. All right, often you hear it's what can business learn from sport? Let's yeah. flip it on its head. What do you think sport can learn from the business world? It's a great question. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. I think um, there's an awful lot we can learn. Yeah. I think for me is um, like even last week I, I was in with a company who arguably gone through a big change. Um, and you get to understand a bit more about resilience and how they're dealing with that. And I think sometimes we look at sport for resilience because we instantly go at success or defeat, how do they bounce back? Whereas in the, in the world of business, like just things go on every single day. Um, and particularly now, the way the world's gone, like the competitiveness of business is that, like it's global. So, you know, you've got to be looking what's happening in America. You've got to be looking at what's happening in Asia, mm-hmm. you know, not just what, what here, what's going on in Ireland. And I think yeah. for that, it's very much like we talked about knowledge, know your competitors. And I think in the world of business, they're very, very good at that. Yeah. Um, and they know exactly, they, they almost know how their competitors are selling, you know, and how they go about it. And, uh, you know, again, from the world of sport, we need to know. We need to know what other people are doing. And also, if we know what they're doing, that can add value to yourself, Stuff, yeah. you know, um, training methods, you know, recovery methods, all these sort of things. And I think from the world of business, I think, you know, we should look um, a little bit more into that. And see what strategies and, and because let's be honest we just spoke about books and knowledge yeah. people are studying business for years so there has to be things in there that we can take and implement into kind of high level sport Brilliant, yeah. so let's take wellness arts music food books all that together yeah what does high performance in all those sort of capacities mean to you i think high performance for me is staying in the present i think if you can stay in, in the now um and focus on what you're doing on a on a daily basis. That process, I think, is vitally, vitally important. I think, you know, you know, when you look at sports, it's very much performance-driven, and it's heading that direction in terms of funding, and obviously the Olympics and medals will represent more funding. Yeah. And sometimes people get carried away, again, going back to that outcome. But I think like, all of that stuff, high performance for me, is creating that environment, um, that culture, um, you know, collaboration, uh, and staying in the now. Uh, we work off a lot of themes in this podcast. I think we pretty much covered nearly every one that we had. Well, I'm, I usually <laughs> finish with the last minute there, listening to the question, and then end up trying to come up with a wrap-up conclusion. Maybe a 10-minute segment. This is a tough one for me, David. So I suppose, where would we start? Well, I'm reading another book called The Infinity Mindset. Okay, yeah. start that, And that's all about you, because Dave, you know we must acknowledge you. You are somebody that hit it why, how, what, the process, what a journey you've been on. What a successful, inspiring journey to share with so many people from talking about 
routine habits. You've opened up and shared vulnerability mm-hmm. today. You've explored high performance in so many different spheres, and you're still pushing out a comfort zone, even moving forward into a restaurant business. I suppose I'd like to ask you one last question, then I'm finished is, what's Gillick Cuisine all about? Is that a mix of Lebanese and Japanese and, you know, something from Louisiana? Or kind of what's, what's the Gillick Cuisine? <laughs> That's a great question. That's probably the hardest question I've had now. Um, I sp- it, it's varied. It's very varied. Um, but I, no, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I like just good tasting, almost comfort food. You know, I think food is very social. Um, and I think if you can create food that brings people together um, using really good ingredients, fresh, seasonal, local ingredients, um, and it's healthy, you know. And I think if you can do that in a cost-effective way um, and get people out and getting people socially around the table, eating food, having a laugh, I think that's what it's all about for me. David Gillick, thank you very much for coming on today. We really enjoyed it. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.